Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, uh, episode 33. Uh, so, okay, this is a late night record. It's uh, 5 till 5 a.m., uh, so why wouldn't I start an episode? Um, my wife is asleep, but she has assured me that I can speak in a conversational tone and everything will be fine. So, um, but quite frankly, I think, I, I think my tone is a little more hushed than usual. So, um, so yeah, hopefully you'll forgive me. I am trying to speak a, a little bit louder so uh, I don't put people to sleep as so many people, uh, have commented on iTunes. So thanks for that. Um, so a uh, special thanks to uh, Robert Hornack, who was a guest on uh, the last episode in which we talked about Woody Allen. Um, I would recommend everybody go back and listen to that. It is, uh, it is a journey. It's uh, two hours and 20 minutes, um, and uh, we get to know Robert a little bit, and then we uh, basically just talk about the, uh, the themes of that Woody Allen has explored uh in various films and uh and it was a, it was a good conversation I really enjoyed it and so special thanks to Robert for uh for being a part of it um I will remind everyone actually that uh uh previous guest uh Jacob Kinberg has released his film Channel News uh for purchase on DVD uh you can actually find a link to that uh on the More Than One Lesson store uh, so you can just follow the links there. Um, it costs $20 plus shipping. Um, I really enjoy the movie. I think it's very good. I actually wrote a, a review of sorts uh, on the More Than One Lesson blog, so you can go there and read that, and, uh, you know, hopefully it will, uh, you know, inspire you to want to purchase the film and uh, support uh, the filmmaker. Um, and then I will say this, this is not available at the More Than One Lesson store, but um, a friend of the show, Jason Eakin, has also released uh, a film called Reservations, uh, and it stars uh, me, and as well as a friend of the show, Josh Long. So, um, and it was it's a comedy, it's about 30 minutes long, and uh, it's a lot of fun, um, and I, I really uh, enjoyed being a part of it, and I'm very proud to have been a part of it, so... Um, I highly recommend seeking that out. Uh, you can find it at the store uh, for Battleship Pretension, my other podcast. So you can go to battleshippretension.com, click on store, and then follow the links there. Um, that costs $10. Um, I think it just costs $10. I don't think there's any shipping on that, actually. But uh, So, yeah, I would... Uh, Recommend purchasing those. Um, I want to try to uh, support uh, my friends that are filmmakers, and uh, and hopefully you will as well. Um, reminder, of course, that uh, there is a forum for more than one lesson. Uh, of course, my listenership is very small, so um, there aren't a lot of people that are signed up on the forum. Um, and uh, you know, there's a there's some not a lot of discussion going on over there, so. Uh, but I would like to start some because certainly uh, people have opinions about movies. But frankly, because this is a Christian show, I'd also be interested to know in, in uh, what people believe and why, whether it be uh, their own uh, personal uh, religious beliefs or political beliefs, but also maybe about one specific issue or what's going on uh, in the world today and, and that sort of thing. So, And admittedly, I haven't been really keeping up on it myself. So, um, But yeah, I would... Uh, I would uh, recommend uh, heading on over there and, and uh, starting a conversation 
Uh, at the very least, I'll be looking at it. I check it uh, every day to see if there's anything new. Uh, okay, so I think that catches us up. Oh, and then uh, Robert actually did just write uh, a very interesting blog uh, about Martin Scorsese's The Last Temptation of Christ, which is a movie that I happen to love, uh, but there's a lot of people that uh, that don't care for it, and he has some interesting things to say about that, so you can find that uh, on the More Than One Lesson blog. So uh, go and, and check that out. Uh, okay, I think that covers everything. Uh, so this episode we're going to talk about a movie that I just absolutely love, um, and it has grown, uh, in my opinion, uh, since its release in 2007, and that is uh, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Uh, it is written and directed by Andrew Dominic, and it's... Uh, it was nominated for uh, an Oscar for uh, Best Supporting Actor for Casey Affleck. And that that was 2007. That was a good year for Casey Affleck. He was also in Gone Baby Gone. Uh, and since then, he was in a movie called The Killer Inside Me, which uh, I may or may not do an episode on. I'm not 100% sure. But uh, but he's an actor that is has really kind of come into his own. And, uh, and this film really put him on the map and got him a lot of prestige. But, uh, but I don't want to talk about that just yet. Um, so the story of the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, um, the story is about, you know, the, uh, the infamous, uh, you know, thief, uh, and outlaw, I guess, uh, Jesse James, and uh, as the title would suggest, it is about his assassination. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's pretty straightforward. It's just it's it's told from the point of view of these two men. Uh, and Robert Ford is a young guy who is, you know, hangs out with his brothers, and uh, they're all kind of criminals of sorts. And uh, and they get involved in the uh, very famous uh, Jesse James gang. And by this time, Jesse James is a is a huge celebrity uh, around the country. Everybody knows who he is, and he's kind of a kind of a folk hero. You know, he may have uh, stolen and he may have killed some people, but uh, the country really loves him. And uh, and Robert Ford, Bob, is no different. He really uh, he idolizes Jesse James. He keeps a a little uh, not a shoebox, but like a tin of you know, books about Jesse James and, and all that. And he just really uh, is fascinated by him. And so, of course, you can imagine the excitement that he feels when he is uh, able to gain access to Jesse James. Um, and uh, and so the film is very long and it deals with a lot of a lot of things. And we see uh, we see Jesse James as played by Brad Pitt. And we see that he's been famous for a while and perhaps... Uh, perhaps his, you know, the, the killing that he's had to do and, and constantly being on the run and the paranoia of being an outlaw, it has started to get to him. And we see it, uh, in a, what I think is a really great performance by Brad Pitt. He's very world weary. Um, and he's gotten really tired of, of his own celebrity. And so of course, right around the time Robert Ford shows up and is just so excited to be, uh, to be near him. Even, uh, Jesse James is, is pretty tired of his own image and, uh, and the life that he has chosen. And so, uh, 
you kind of get this really interesting dynamic um, because Jesse James, he still is very active in the film. He, I mean, he still seeks people out that could possibly, you know, hurt him or send him to jail and he does kill them. Uh, and he does, he still robs and, and all of that. So he, he still does all of these things, but you kind of get the impression that he's sort of going through the motions. It's the only thing he's, he knows how to do. And so he's going to do it. Um, and of course, all along the way, you've got Robert Ford just, you know, uh, amazed at this guy and, and amazed that he can be close to this celebrity. Um, and it's and it's a really interesting thing because as Robert gets more involved in the gang, uh, of course, uh, spoilers. By the way, I, wh- how am I? Why am I saying spoilers for a film with a film called The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford? It's the name. We know what's going to happen. That's neither here nor there. Um, but uh, as Robert gets more involved, he actually starts to see Jesse James for who Jesse actually is, which is uh, a very dangerous man, a man who, you know, though he may be seen as a folk hero, is the is responsible for the deaths of many people and um and is very paranoid. I mean, he's been you know, he he's always worried that that the people that he's close to are going to stab him in the back, uh maybe to save their own skins, you never really know. Uh and and that paranoia really starts to uh, weigh on on Jesse, and and he starts to act out against members of his own gang, uh, including Robert Ford. And uh, really, towards the end, when it's you know when the assassination is coming up, uh, Jesse even threatens Robert's life. Uh, he, I believe, at one point he holds a knife to his throat, uh, and I mean Robert after a certain point, is really scared for his life. Um, and uh, eventually comes the, the fateful day when he when Bob decides he's going to kill Jesse James. Um, and it's a really interesting scene because uh, the, the lore is that... Uh, uh, well, not the lore. I think it's, it's the fact that uh, Robert Ford shot Jesse James in the back uh, while Jesse was uh, fixing uh, uh, a picture that was hanging on the wall and it was crooked. Um, and so when that scene happens, we it, it's such a fascinating thing because though none of the characters say it, they all seem to know what needs to happen. Um, there's a tension in the room and... You know, Robert is nervous, and Jesse sees why he is nervous and probably knows what's going to happen to him. And then he sees the picture, and he says, oh, hey, that picture is, you know, that picture is crooked. And he walks over, and the way in which he says it, and it's really played beautifully by Brad Pitt, the way in which he says it, uh, you almost feel like he has a certain amount of sympathy for Robert. And it's almost as if, okay, well, I know this is going to be difficult for you, so... I'm going to turn my back to you so that you don't have to look at my face when you shoot me. Um, of course, in doing so, he pretty much guarantees that Robert will be labeled a coward uh, forever. Um, and so Robert shoots him, uh, but the story is not actually over. We then go on to see what happens to uh, to Robert Ford and, and his name. He becomes very infamous 
uh, as a coward, as the guy who killed this folk hero, because, of course, nobody else knew him the same way, and knew Jesse James the same way that Robert did, and knew that, uh, that he could be a very brutal, very sadistic, and very paranoid man. Uh, and so we see, you know, Robert trying to come to grips with this, and, uh, you know, coming to grips with, uh, with true infamy, and, uh, and being literally hated across the country, uh, and then eventually he is, uh, assassinated himself. Um, so, that's the, that's the story, and, uh, as I mentioned, uh, the acting is really top-notch, uh, and there's it's it's interesting because I feel like somebody like Brad Pitt, because he is a movie star and a good looking guy, uh, I think people are inclined to assume that he's not that great of an actor. Uh, and indeed, I think he is a little limited. I think he's he can be very good in modern type roles. Um, but anybody who saw Troy knows that he he is a limited actor. There's only so much that he can do. But you know that's there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Um, and of course, you know, assassination of Jesse James is a period piece. And so, and he's very comfortable playing this character. And I think it was a a brilliant casting choice on the part of Andrew Dominic because he understood that, that Jesse James was as big a celebrity as you, as you could be, uh, at the time. And so appropriately he gets one of the biggest celebrities we have to play him. And and then proceed, and then proceeds to completely deflate Jesse James's uh, star persona, and in doing so, deflates Brad Pitt's star persona. And it really is a, just an interesting choice. It's it's one that I would say is kind of similar to uh, to the casting of uh, like Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet in Revolutionary Road, where we have an association with them as a couple. Um, and of course, we see them, their marriage fall apart, but we think of them as the ultimate lovers. And so, in casting the two of them, um, uh, because of course they were co-stars in Titanic, so in casting the two of them, we we come to the film of Revolutionary Road uh, with a lo- with a lot of baggage that the director capitalizes on. And I think that's the same that's the same thing that the same reasoning that Andrew Dominic brings to casting casting. Um, Brad Pitt as Jesse James, and also I think uh, in cast in casting uh, Casey Affleck, he brings you know he brings some baggage as well because we all know him as Ben Affleck's younger brother, and so of course we see him as a guy that we only know in reference to somebody else. Of course, Casey Affleck had been in plenty of movies uh, previous to this, but he was never. I don't know. He he was certainly not his own thing. Uh, we all knew him, you know, when we saw Drowning Mona. Those of us that did, um, we th- saw oh Casey Affleck. Oh, he's Ben Affleck's brother, and that's kind of how we knew him. And so, in casting Bob, a guy that is, you know, unimportant, uh, strictly speaking, uh, a guy who is known maybe more as a as a function of Jesse James just always the only reason we know of Robert Ford is because of his association with Jesse James so of of course in casting Casey Affleck who we only know in reference to Ben Affleck that was also a nice little a nice little casting decision and of course uh, both actors do wonders with their roles because uh, Casey Affleck really 
you see the character mature over the course of the film. When you first see him, he is, of course, this wide-eyed, uh, idealistic, uh, you know, boy, really, um, who's just totally in love with the idea of, of Jesse James. And as time goes on, you see him get, uh, you know, heartbroken when he sees what Jesse James actually is, that he is, in fact, not this crazy hero, uh, this amazing guy who is, you know, beyond all of us. He is, in fact, just a regular guy, and in fact can be quite a, uh, quite a scoundrel at times, and, and is prone to the same things that, uh, that we all are, such as uh, sadness and paranoia and anger and all these other things. And so we see Bob... Um, we we see his not his disintegration, but we see him becoming a little bit more cynical and a little more a little bit more upset um, that his hero, the guy that he has come to idolize, is actually just like the rest of us. Um, and then what? And then of course he when after he kills him, there's a great deal of sadness uh, in his life, and he wishes that he hadn't done it, um, as one would assume. Um, and uh, and I did want to talk a little bit about the film itself before I get into some of the thematic stuff. Um, first off, it's beautifully shot. Uh, it's just a really gorgeous film. It's I mean, it is a western, and you come you know you kind of come to expect uh, a certain degree of visual uh, mastery and beauty when it comes to a western. But this one is is a little different. I mean, this one really uh, is gorgeous to look at. Uh, the the cinematographer was uh, Roger Deakins, who actually uh, I know primarily as a, a a DP that works uh, with the Coens a lot, and his uh, and he actually was also nominated for an Oscar for this film for best cinematography, and he's just a really uh, he just has a really fascinating eye, um, and he has the ability to adapt to the genre of whatever film he's doing. Um, you know, he did the the cinematography for the man who wasn't there, which is, of course, a film noir, so it's black and white, strong shadows, amazing use of light, and uh, and Roger Deakins is able to, you know, to adapt to that. And then here, of course, it's not even... I don't know, it's it's interesting because the there are some westerns that, of course, are, are just gritty and very down-to-earth. Uh, you know, films like Unforgiven and Open Range and Appaloosa, you'll find it a lot in... in you know, fairly modern westerns, but this one because first off, it employs a narrator who uh, who talks, who who speaks uh, with a very it's a very plain spoken voice, and he talks about all the characters, um, and and so we really do feel as if we're being told a story by like a grandfather or an uncle or something, and as such, uh, the narration mixed with the beautiful music by. Uh, uh, Nick Cave, um, the the cinematography, the music, and the narration really help to create the sense that we are being told, a, you know, we're being retold a legend that we all know, and and as such, things are a little idealized, or at the very least, they're a little dreamlike. They're not completely uh, in our reality, and uh, Roger Deakins' cinematography really adds to that. Really makes it to seem seem uh, as if it is uh, a little dreamy, a little uh, a little fuzzy. Um, but yeah, it's just a gorgeous movie to 
to listen to, to look at, just, I don't know, I, I really like it. And some people don't like the narration. I happen to really, uh, really enjoy it, and I really get a lot out of it because I think it's incredibly well-written. Um, and there are moments where it is incredibly poignant, especially in the last section after uh, Robert has, has killed Jesse, um, and we see how sad his life has become. And the narrator, you know, talks about how, you know, as famous as Jesse James is, you know, no one's going to talk about Robert Ford without talking about how much of a coward he was and all of that. And it really makes you feel for for Robert. Um, but yeah, it's just a it's just a really, in every sense of the word, it's just a really wonderful film, and it, it surprises me how few people know about it. Um, even with the, you know, the Oscar nomination for the, the two Oscar nominations, but primarily the one for Casey Affleck and the fact that, uh, that Brad Pitt is in the film, um, very few people have seen it. And admittedly, like I said, it's a long film. It's very meditative. It's not your typical action Western. Um, but I would really recommend, uh, if you're a fan of Westerns, um, seek it out. It, it really is. And of course, try to devote an entire evening to it you know uh, I feel like when we watch movies on DVD especially uh, long ones like this we might watch the first half now and the second half later it's a film that really benefits from watching all in one sitting because uh, it's a film that really does envelop you and so I really uh, I, I recommend watching it that way but um but in talking in discussing what the film is about, um, I will actually start uh, to bring up the the companion film. Uh, several weeks ago on Battleship Pretension, we had a guest on named uh, Pat Healy, and he revealed a movie that uh, was his favorite movie of all time. And um, and by coincidence, I had already I was already planning on seeing it, and I because of what I knew about it, I was already planning on it, on it being the companion piece for this episode. And that is, uh, Martin Scorsese's The King of Comedy, uh, written by Paul D. Zimmerman. And it came out in 1982 and it stars Robert De Niro as, as a character named Rupert Pupkin. Uh, and then comedian Jerry Lewis as a comedian named Jerry Langford. And, uh, when I finally got around to watching it with my friends, it, man, I can see, I can easily see how this could be someone's favorite film. It's just so, it's just so fascinating and just so, I don't know, if if you look stuff up about it, I mean, so, critics didn't really care for it, audiences didn't respond to it, even Scorsese himself has kind of distanced himself from the film, and I, I don't, I have no idea why. It's got some of the best acting I've ever seen on the part of Robert De Niro, Jerry Lewis is amazing, and then even uh, Sandra Bernhard, who is, quite frankly, an actress that I've come to kind of cringe at because of the types of roles that she that she has played, which is generally unpleasant characters. Uh, and her character in this is not particularly pleasant, but she is really amazing. Um, it's the kind of thing that if the film had gotten some acceptance, you know, I mean, there easily could have been three uh, acting Oscar nominations here uh, for lead actor for De Niro and then supporting actor for Jerry Lewis and supporting actress for Sandra Bernhardt. It's really uh, a beautifully acted film. And, uh, and of course it, it's interesting because, uh, Martin Scorsese is a very, he's kind of a virtuoso director. His, uh, his visual style and his, the way he uses the camera 
is really is really amazing. I mean, anybody who's seen, you know, anything from Raging Bull to Taxi Driver to Goodfellas, The Aviator, The Departed. I mean, he is a director who just just knows how to use a camera. Uh, and strangely enough, the camera is very static in the King, in the King of Comedy. Uh, it's not very fluid, and uh, you're not really sure why until you meet uh, Rupert Pupkin. Um, and the story here is uh, De Niro plays this character who's kind of pathetic. He doesn't really have a job. He lives with his mother, and uh, he is an aspiring stand-up comedian. And he idolizes a character named Jerry Langford, who's kind of a, a Johnny Carson type. Um, he hosts a, a talk show, and he himself is is known as like this really funny guy, and and he's a huge celebrity, and uh, and he's played by Jerry Lewis, and uh, and Rupert happens to the two of them happen to meet, uh, and. And, I mean, Rupert is starstruck. He can't believe he's actually getting to talk to this guy on a real level. Um, and, you know, he has fantasies about the two of them, like, going out to lunch and just having a nice time as, as friends. And and Rupert being on Jerry's level, um, you know, Rupert in his fantasies is already a well-established, very popular uh, comedian. And uh, And Jerry asks favors of him and all of that sort of thing. So... So those are his fantasies, uh, and then in reality, I mean, Rupert is a very, like I said, kind of a pathetic, lonely guy who is also maybe a little dangerous, and you see him, uh, he's he's friends, or at the very least companions with uh, this character whose name I don't remember, but I looked it up, and it says uh, Masha, or uh, Masha, or something, I don't quite recall, um, but uh, this is Sandra Bernhardt's character, who is also obsessed with uh, Jerry Langford and the two of them kind of have that as the basis for their friendship, even though they don't seem to like each other very much. Uh, but anyway, so Rupert uh, gives Jerry like a, like a tape uh, of, of him performing standup with the hope that perhaps he can be, perhaps he can perform on Jerry's show and it will, you know, catapult him to stardom. And uh, Jerry, of course, doesn't really uh do much with it and uh Rupert pursues him and goes into his office and is and kind of kind of stalks him quite frankly um and it's funny but it's also very uncomfortable and uh and then finally uh the general um rejection that Rupert receives at the hands of Jerry uh drives him uh overboard and spoilers for the king of comedy uh, Rupert and uh, Masha. That's that can't possibly be right. All right, I just looked it up, and uh, yes, the spelling is right. Maybe my pronunciation is wrong because I just realized maybe it's Masha. I have no idea. Maybe I'll just refer to it as as uh, Sandra Bernhard. Anyway, um, so yeah, the two of them they they kidnap Jerry Longford and uh, they decide and and they hold him for ransom, and the ransom is. Uh, Rupert getting to perform on Jerry's show. Uh, of course, Jerry is being held uh, and can't host the show, so they bring in uh, guest host uh, Tony Randall. And uh, so Rupert goes and uh, performs, does his stand-up act, and it's okay. It's not great, but it's kind of funny, and there's definite potential there, which is incidentally what the producers of the show told Rupert, that he's a, he shows a lot of promise and to you know get to work on it and all of that sort of thing. 
uh, and and uh, then we see uh, you know Rupert. Uh, well, I don't think we see him get arrested, but it's assumed that he gets arrested. Uh, and then we see what is maybe a fantasy sequence. We're pretty sure it is, but you never know. Um, in which, you know, uh, he writes a book in prison and uh, becomes very famous when he gets out, gets a show of his own. And uh, and then at the end, we see him come out for his, for his first episode uh, of his show. And uh, everyone's cheering for him and... And the announcer of the show is just saying, wonderful, Rupert Pupkin. Give him a hand, ladies and gentlemen. Rupert Pupkin, wonderful. And the way in which this last sequence uh, ends, which is, of course, the end of the film, um, I I do think it is kind of a fantasy. Uh, We don't know when he has that fantasy. Perhaps he has it while in prison. Uh, Perhaps it's what keeps him going uh, so that he can get out of prison. Um, But... uh, but yeah, so that's that's the basic uh, story of of the King of Comedy, and and this one, much like Assassination of Jesse James, we have a character who idolizes somebody, uh, and then actually gets to meet them and is and is absolutely astounded, and then when they realize that this person isn't who they thought they were going to be, because Jerry does, he at first he humors uh, Rupert, but then the more Rupert pursues him, the more he finally decides he's tired of it. He can't stand it. He's he's angry with this guy, and he and he tells him off. And Rupert is, of course, furious because how could this guy talk to him like this and all of that? And um, and it's it reminded me. It reminds me a lot of you know Robert's reaction to Jesse James. Now, of course, with Robert, there's a certain degree of of being you know kind of heartbroken over the whole thing, whereas Rupert just gets angry. Uh, and actually, there's various scenes in uh, the King of Comedy where people expect something from Jerry. Like, he, he's walking down the street, you know, probably to go to lunch, and a woman is on a payphone, and she sees him, and she, like, says great things about him. And then uh, he says, oh, thank you. You know, he's, he tries to be very polite, very courteous. And then she says, hey, can you can you say hello to my brother? He's on the phone. And uh, and Jerry's like, I'm sorry, I, I can't. And then she immediately, she goes from loving him to absolutely hating him and yells out, I hope you get cancer. And it's actually kind of a funny, funny scene, although uh, it, it's actually, there's a story that it's based on something that actually happened to Jerry Lewis. Um, and so you get these characters who, who have this uh, idealized version of these people in their head, and then when they see that the person actually is just a person, uh, they feel somehow personally betrayed as if the celebrity uh, owes it to them to do anything that the person wants, um, as if the as if we the public own the celebrities. Um, and uh, and I will say real quick, uh, the the uh, again, the acting is really wonderful. Uh, I, I am not by and large a huge Robert De Niro fan. Uh, it's not that I think he's a bad actor. It's that uh, he has never really attracted me very much. Uh, you know. I, I I recognize when a film that he's in, uh, when he's good in it, but I, I very seldom will see a movie based on him being in it, um, which sounds kind of crazy because he was largely viewed as, you know, one of the best actors, one of the best actors of his generation, um, along with you know Pacino and Dustin Hoffman, Jack Nicholson, Robert Duvall, all these other people. Um, 
And uh, when I see stuff like Raging Bull and Taxi Driver, I think, ah, yes, this is why he was considered this uh, this amazing. And his performance in The King of Comedy is really uh, astounding. That he is so... Because I, I think of him as, as kind of a tough guy who is... Even when he... I mean, he may be kind of awkward, but you, you really get the feeling that he could just, you know, beat the crap out of you at any point. Um, and so to kind of peel that off and just play the awkwardness and play the 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 humor and sadness and you know the ineptitude of Rupert Pupkin uh is really quite brave and he pulls it off beautifully i mean he just plays his character as vaguely delusional and and we feel sorry for him but we also kind of in many cases don't like him um he is vaguely repellent to us because he is so pathetic. Uh, and so De Niro does an amazing job. And then, of course, much in the same way as uh, Andrew Dominic casting Brad Pitt as Jesse James, Martin Scorsese casting Jerry Lewis as Jerry Langford, it, it's, it, it comes from the same instinct where we needed, in the role of Jerry Langford, we needed somebody that we viewed as a, to borrow from the title, as a king of comedy. Somebody who could conceivably have his own show and has great comic timing and all of that. Just we needed somebody that we ourselves kind of idolized along with Rupert. And so in casting Jerry Lewis, you know, I mean, a guy who who was, you know, huge. I mean, we think of him, you know, we kind of think of him now as this hyperkinetic, you know, Jim Carrey type. And people kind of look down on his uh, style of comedy. But uh, but man, when he was on, he was on and he was really great. Um, and here we see a, a completely different side of Jerry Lewis. He's very deadpan, very dry, pretty quiet for the most part, doesn't yell or, or doesn't go crazy or anything like that. And, uh, there are scenes where in the, mi- in the midst of, I'm laughing now, in the midst of the kidnapping, he, he just keeps this expression on his face. He doesn't seem scared. He just seems like he can't believe this is happening. And not like a not like a crying out to God like I can't believe this is happening, but like a uh, almost like a oh man, can you seriously is this really what's happening to me right now? And uh, and just to see that dead-eyed expression on his face uh the whole time is is hilarious and he's just really great. And there's a part there, there's a scene where uh, Rupert makes Jerry call his producer and read from cue cards that Rupert is, is holding up. That scene is, to me, one of the best comedy scenes uh, I, I've ever seen, um, both because of what De Niro is doing as, as, uh, as he holds the cue cards and Jerry, as he, uh, Jerry uh, Langford as he reads the cue cards. It's just a really wonderful scene, and I really highly, re- I, I highly recommend uh, watching the film. Um, but so I, I've touched on it a little bit uh, in regards to what uh, these films are about, and one of the things that they're about is celebrity and the way we, as the public, uh, think of celebrities and the way we treat celebrities, uh, and it really, it's really interesting and kind of sad um i mean there's you know i think it's i think it's us weekly um where there's a section called uh i think they're just like us 
in which it shows a celebrity like uh, mowing his yard or you know whatever, uh, and the i the the very concept that there there's a section based entirely on the idea that hey you you may have thought that celebrities are somehow uh, completely completely unlike you that they live on a completely other uh, other plane of existence. Um, but as it turns out, no, they also mow their lawns. They also go out and get something to eat. Oh my gosh. Can you believe that they pump their own gas? Oh my gosh. Who would believe it? Um, and so it's, it's kind of ridiculous. And there's been, there've been a lot of, uh, movies and television shows that kind of broach the subject of the way we treat uh, celebrities. Um, but, uh, the reason that I like these is that, well, of course, one of them is is very much a drama, and one is very much uh, a comedy. Um, but there are aspects in both uh, in which there are characters who view themselves as less than celebrities and actually get really down on themselves as a result. They really they just feel like they're they're worthless, and they they don't mean as much as. Jesse James or Jerry Langford, you know, that they, these people are somehow better than them. Um, and of course, when they, I don't know, it's, it's almost like they, they live for, in the case of Rupert, Rupert Pupkin, certainly he lives for his fandom of Jerry Langford. You know, it's, it's almost like it's what keeps him going much, much like, Robert Ford with his tin of uh, Jesse James books that he reads religiously. It's like he... It's not merely that Jesse James is a hero. He is Robert's hero, specifically. And I will mention that there there are some elements in uh, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, and plenty of, of critics have mentioned this, um, the the idea of maybe there being a... a like a a lustful attraction to Jesse from uh, by Robert. Um, and there, there certainly, uh, there is that, uh, I mean, it's, you don't have to look too hard to find it. Um, but here's the thing is it might be lustful, but that does not cancel out the fact that it's also, he's, he's lustfully attracted to Jesse but he probably wouldn't be if Jesse wasn't Jesse James, the famous outlaw. He's lustfully attracted to, again, the image uh, and the celebrity of this man. And so, uh, whether it be like wanting to be his friend or wanting to be his, you know, lover or whatever, it's still purely a function of. Jesse James's status uh, as this uh, as this famous uh, folk hero, um, and and it is it's fascinating because we certainly have that now. Uh, we look at celebrities, and you know, and in fact, even other people as being somehow better than us or or whatever. And and I might be speaking just for myself here. I mean, if you listen to the other show, and certainly if you listen to this one, you know that I tend to be a little melancholy and uh, more than a little neurotic, and um, and I tend to get kind of down on myself, and 
And there have been times, I remember when I first really felt, you know, the the call to pursue film criticism, I really resisted it. Um, because I was out here in Los Angeles to pursue screenwriting, and then I legitimately felt that I should be doing something else. But I held out. I held out for a long time because there's a certain stigma associated with critics, especially critics that wanted to do something else first. Uh, and that is that uh, that they have failed and that now they're going to take out their frustrations on Hollywood. And, of course, I have so many friends that are, you know, pretty successful actors or writers or directors. Um, I mean, I have a friend that was nominated for an Oscar, you know, and and so they're pursuing it and being very successful. Meanwhile, I legitimately uh, am pursuing film criticism because I felt that it's what I'm supposed to be pursuing, but I still somehow look at those people and think like, ugh, man, I wish I could be them, even though they're friends of mine. You know, I do feel that, that kind of, that kind of jealousy. Um, and it's, and it's fascinating because when you do, and I know that in, in another episode I said, you know, that, uh, the Bible says that we need to like look at others as better than, than ourselves, but that's, that's different. That's about humility and trying to serve other people instead of only focusing on, you know, yourself. Um, being envious of other people and what they're doing and viewing yourself as somehow less than them because of what you're doing or who you are or the way you look or any of these things, um, that, of course, is not biblical. Um, that's uh, And that's a recipe for disaster um, because... You know, if you if you look, if you put your faith in a person, the person is going to let you down. I re- I mean, there's a I have a I have a lot of Bible verses here. Uh, the first one I'll bring up is Isaiah two, verse twenty two. Stop trusting in man who has but a breath in, uh, in his nostrils. Of what account is he? And that's that may sound like a very that may sound like a very cynical uh, view. Which is like, ah, you can't trust anybody. But it's not about that. The idea is is not to idealize other people the way Robert Ford idealized Jesse James. And then, we, then when he realized that he wasn't, when Jesse James couldn't live up to that, Robert was, of course, heartbroken. And, and Rupert Pupkin was furious when Jerry Langford couldn't live up to his idea of him. You know, if we idealize other people, we are setting ourselves up to be hurt or at the very least let down. And like I said, it might, that might be viewed as cynical, but in actuality, um, I view that as, as it, it, it gives you the license to forgive people. It gives you the license to, uh, love people because if you, if somebody lets you down and you realize, well, Hey, they're only human and people make mistakes and all of that. Um, then you suddenly realize that their mistake is not, it, it, I mean, depending on the mistake, of course, it might be a personal betrayal, but if you view them as flawless and then they reveal a flaw, then you're going to be infinitely more upset and angry um, because you, they've not lived up to what you expected them to be. And uh, whereas if you view them as just people... Um, who are flawed, 
and they make a mistake, then you have the grounds, you have a much, you have the grounds to forgive them. Um, and I feel, I feel like that's, that's the idea behind a verse like, like that, you know, what account is he? Like we put so much faith in other people. We put so much trust in other people, but a verse like this helps us to realize like, yeah, they're just like you. Other people, they're just like us. Um, but I also wanted to talk about the idea of this celebrity worship and in this, and I want to be a little more, um, abstract about it because a celebrity or, or the idea of hero worship, um, is something that it could be a hero or a celebrity in our lives that we, that becomes an idol. It could be anything. It it doesn't have to be the people we see on TV or politicians. It could be our parents. It could be our spouses. It could be our friends, just somebody that, uh, that we start to assign, uh, a flawless identity to, uh, and then of course, like I said, they're going to let us down because they're people. Um, and one thing that I, that I wanted to mention, this may seem out a, a little bit out of left field, to be honest with you, uh, I really, uh, I, I, I'd planned out a certain order in my head for how I was going to say this, but, uh, but I can't remember what it was. It's, it is now 545. Um, but one thing that I wanted to mention, uh, and this is, this is going to be specifically for Christians out there. Um, there is a tendency to assign celebrity status to people who do a certain job in the church. This could be missionaries, uh, but more specifically, I would say it is pastors. Um, now, may, maybe I am cynical because the first pastor that I ever had and ever knew was eventually fired from the church for, I believe, embezzlement, um, something like that. Um, and then various pastors that I've had wind up, you know, doing something wrong, uh, maybe not legally wrong, like embezzlement, but, you know, they, you know, a former pastor of mine, like, started to uh, run the church as if it were his own personal thing, as if it wasn't his job uh, to be a pastor, but in fact, like, some kind of right that he had, and that he couldn't be removed from from it, you know, and and the church structure was a pastor, and then, of course, a the church board and he acted as if the church board didn't have any power and, and I don't know, became uh, vaguely fascist. That might be uh, too extreme a word, but uh, you know, uh, just very flawed people. And I think that, um, I think that we Christians look at pastors and, and missionaries and, you know, Christian authors, whatever. Um, and we see them as like, Oh, what a perfect representative of our faith. Oh, I, you know, I should just redirect somebody to this person and, uh, and this person will work it all out. You know, this person converts people right and left. Um, and then inevitably, you know, the pastor might give a sermon that you don't agree with or the, or, or might not run the church the way you would like or whatever the case may be or the church or the pastor might do something very wrong you know might be involved in a, like a sex scandal or something like that um which happens frequently uh almost 
almost especially pastors of like huge churches that are that have you know have national attention almost always wind up in a sex scandal of some kind but um and of course it's it, it's perfectly okay to be angry at them but i feel like often we 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 just like i said we act as if they are the model oh they're the perfect representative of christianity but of course they're not the perfect representative. Only Jesus is the perfect representative of Christianity. These are just people like you and me. But for some reason, because someone feels the call to be a pastor, which is of course, you know, I mean, that can be a very difficult call, don't get me wrong, because, you know, you do have to sort of, you do have to sort you're living under the eyes of the congregation. And so you do have to be as upright as possible and try to seek holiness as much as possible. But, we act as if they are flawless, <clears throat> and in many cases, we sort of hinge our faith on them. And then, of course, they let us down, and there are some people that might actually start to question their faith as a result. Um, and that's the that's the downside. And, and the same can happen of anybody. Like, if we put our faith in our parents or our spouses or whatever, um, people will let us down either consciously or unconsciously. Um, and if we have assigned too much to them, then it can be incredibly devastating. Um, and so I think it's important to just realize that we're all, we're all sinners. None of us are perfect and we all have a role to play. See, that's the, that's the thing that I had a difficult time with when I when I felt the call to be a, a critic, is that I felt like I was now somehow less than a writer or less than an actor or a director, um, just as you know Robert Ford felt that he was less than Jesse James, and he just oh he so wanted so badly wants to be like Jesse or and you know, there's a line where Jesse says do you want to be like me or do you want to be me, you know and there is a definite difference. There is a definite difference there. Um, and so, like, we look at these people and we want to be them and, and we can't help but idealize them. And in doing so, we might completely miss the role that we're supposed to play. You know? Um, and so there's a there's a part that I... There's, there's a, some verses in Romans that I really like that I think, uh, you know, could play a part here. Um, it's Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. Uh, here we go. This is a not a h- incredibly lengthy section, but I'll I'll start reading. Uh, Just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these bodies and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a gi- if a man's gift is prophesying, let him let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Um, and I like that idea because it lets us know that no one person is more important than anybody else uh, in the, you know in the the body of believers we all have a part to play um we can't look at 
somebody who is a missionary or a pastor. We can respect them, certainly. I mean, they have a hard job. But we can just as easily look at somebody who is uh, a plumber. That is always the go-to. I mentioned it with Jacob Kinberg on that episode. Uh, we could look at somebody who's a plumber or a teacher or just works as an accountant. You know, things that seem like lowly jobs. But if that is their calling, that's their calling. And we shouldn't feel like they're worse than us. We shouldn't feel like some people are better than us. We all have our roles to play. And if we start to focus so much on other people and, you know, start to think of them as as better or more important than we are, then any number of things can happen. One is, of course, idealizing them and, and holding them to a standard that they can't possibly live up to. But then also, in we also diminish ourselves and think, oh, shoot, well, I guess I'm not that important. But, of course, we're all important because... God loves all of us, Christ died for all of us, and we are all sinners, we are all fallen, and we all have, we have that in common. And so, rather than, you know, treating other people like, you know, putting them up on a pedestal, the only, the, the one person that we should really put our faith in is Jesus, of course, because he actually is perfect. We can hold him to a standard that he can uh, live up to and has lived up to. Um, and in doing so, we, it gives us the perspective to look at others and just realize, Hey, you know what? They're going to make mistakes just as I am. Um, and you're more willing to forgive instead of shooting them in the back or kidnapping them, uh, and, and failing to see them as, as actual people. So, um, so, all right, I guess that's what we can learn from these films. Um, I really do recommend going out and seeing both of them. Um, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, uh, is really one of the most beautiful movies, uh, I've ever seen visually, uh, musically and just, just, and the way it's paced. I mean, everything about it is just a really wonderful film experience. Uh, and there are some people I know that, that don't really like it that much. They, they like it, but they don't love it. I really love it. And I highly recommend seeking it out. Um, and the same with the King of Comedy. Um, it's, it is, like I said, that one's kind of an awkward film, but there's some great acting, some really, uh, funny moments. Uh, and, and the end is, is kind of harrowing. So, um, but I do recommend both of them, uh, quite a bit. So, you can find me at morethanonelesson.com. Um, it's been kind of slow as far as blogging and such, but as I mentioned, there is a new blog uh, by Robert Hornack. Uh, I wrote uh, a review of uh, Jacob's film, Channel News, which is available at the store. Uh, head on over to the forum and uh, sign up and, and take part in some of the conversations. Um, and then you can email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at morelessons. And I think that is it. So, uh, everybody, uh, thanks for listening, and I'll get you next time. Bye.